Welcome to the show. In this one, I talk to Pete Iverson. Pete's a dentist now, but back in the late 1990s, he was on his way to becoming a top name in snowboarding. He was winning heavy competitions, and he was filming with big snowboard videos and local ones too. He had shots in a Mac Dog video, and a Straight Jacket Films video, and parts in the legendary JB Deuce videos. Things were looking pretty good, until two separate knee injuries took him out. He says he just took too many flat landings. And after the second knee injury, he found himself reconsidering being part of the snowboard industry. Not only was he questioning the strength of his own body, he had a tumultuous relationship with his sponsor, Ride Snowboards. In his final years of pursuing snowboarding as a career, he struggled with the why of it. Why does he do it? Is it to look cool? Or is it for other selfish reasons? Because that's not the type of person Pete wanted to be. He wanted to help people, so he got out. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed to the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Jake Liska, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, and Aquila Space. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get crude apparel and merchandise at Tee Public, From t-shirts to hoodies to stickers, baby onesies, and more. Just go to the Crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay, back to Pete Iverson. After he left snowboarding, he went through a rough patch of aimlessness and video game addiction. During the day, he worked in landscaping. And then after work, he would sometimes play eight hours of video games, getting no sleep for work the next day. This cycle repeated itself for over a year, until he made the decision to go to school for dentistry after a suggestion from his sister. This was his opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Now, instead of worrying about sponsorship obligations and injuries, he's focused on being a good husband, father, and entrepreneur. Mostly, he looks back on his snowboarding days with fondness. He's most proud of the friendships he built along the way. But thinking about his life and the work he does now as a dentist, he sees it as his legacy. Evidence of all the hard work he's put into life. So here he is. Pete Iverson. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. So, Pete, I saw that you recently went to a dentistry convention. I've heard those conventions can 
be kind of wild. Is that true? Or is that maybe just a fiction of like pop culture? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah Dennis get wild. I, I had no clue until I, I got in here. Uh, yeah, that particular uh, recent event uh, put on by Dentsply Serona, which is one of the bigger companies, brands uh, in dentistry, they uh, host this event down in Vegas and uh, they show off a lot of their new technology and, you know, it's pretty uh, modern-ish, I'd say, for, for the dental world. Mm-hmm. So it's it's neat to be a part of that and, you know, kind of having those old traditional views of, you know, what it's like to go to a dentist and you just think of like bad things happening, messy things happening. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this, this convention really tries to always uh, push that uh, paradigm forward and, you know, make it, uh, you know, more accessible, not only to dentists, but um, for our patients as well. You know, having technology uh, can really help, uh, you know, improve and enhance the, the whole patient experience. And, you know, I, every day I treat patients and I use, you know, like a optical scanner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I get to show people what that technology is like. And, you know, they they kind of have this wow moment like, oh, cool. Like, like I had no idea I was going to get to experience something new. And, and it almost feels like, you know, they're going to an Apple store or something and I'm showing the latest device and they get kind of excited. <laughs> yeah. They can touch the screen and manipulate like the 3D models and, you know, that, that kind of interactivity. Yeah. Um, it's baked into our workflow, but it's also a really awesome marketing tool um, that folks get to talk about. You know, I don't think that the crew listeners thought they were in for some dentistry talk, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of was thinking that you know this this would be you know a chunk of the the discussion here. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm well prepared to dive in <laughs> on all the geekiness. That's right dentistry. On. I like it, dude. I I think all my you know everybody who I know from Alaska and and knows me from the past is always kind of tripping like what what did you go into again? <laughs> like, how, how the hell did that happen? Because to be perfectly honest, uh, you know, I had I had no inclination for dentistry. Like, mm-hmm. I, I had good experiences as a kid, and, you know, I never really had major problems other than, like, the hygienist kind of being rough with me and saying, oh, you got nasty gums, or they bleed, and yeah. you're a bad boy, and kicks me out. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dentist did you have? <laughs> but at least, well, my, my dentist was actually cool. It was kind of funny. Oh, the hygienist, um, you said. The hygienist, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. So, and and for some reason, yeah, I I guess I'm jaded in that. I I feel like hygienists try to ride this crazy high horse sometimes, and they get a little full of themselves and really come down harshly on the patients more than the dentist will, because usually they want to be the good guy, and and so you kind of play this good cop bad cop, and you're like, okay, um, if he or she, you know berated the patient then i'll come in and sweep them off their feet and i'll say things like honky dory yeah. and <laughs> you're, you're good to go but they're also they could be the owner the dentist and he doesn't or she doesn't want to lose you know patience and goodwill yeah and i uh, get a especially today get a bad google review like it's even more important to have good customer service so mm-hmm. can't really 
can't really thrive. But, but yeah, no, I, yeah, we can get into that story of like how, how I got into dentistry. Yeah, um, let's do that. Well, after uh, a failed attempt at breaking into you know pro snowboarding and and really succeeding there uh, you know I, I broke my knees uh, a few times uh, and that was uh, ACL uh, surgeries uh, about two years apart mm-hmm. and uh, after the second one you know I was just kind of really not not feeling um, snowboarding as an industry uh, and, and kind of the outlook and then my body too and I think when you have doubts uh, you about your body, like any athlete really mm-hmm. starts to question, okay, what what is the future? Like what can my my body that I depend on even even maintain? So Yeah. You know, I really I really kinda struggled with what um I was gonna do with my life. Uh, and luckily and I I like to highlight this that, you know, I, I kept my options open with school um you know never really had any any major struggles like you know going to class and you know getting decent grades Mm -hmm. uh so i kept that door open um and i could go back to the university of washington uh down here in seattle and i was you know talking with my family um my wife um uh kirsten iverson she you know, was, uh, she was into uh, public relations at the time, but she was also having kind of a, a career change shift. Like, she wasn't that happy with, you know, that whole industry. Mm-hmm. And she actually changed her career um, over to occupational therapy. So totally got out of communications and all that. So you guys are going through these transitions together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I guess it was kind of our dual, like early midlife crisis. <laughs> um, but you know, we just wanted to feel um, fulfilled um, in in that we were having a, a positive impact on the world around us. Not like working for the man or working for you know a, a company or something that just didn't care for you, mm-hmm. um, and and that you probably just didn't feel very tangible. Uh, effect uh, on people. I think that was the huge one. Um, so yeah, I, I worked some random stints. I, th- I think I was working at a golf course for a bit, and just I was like a landscaper, um, and I was just working with these these dudes like from Guatemala and Honduras, and they were mm-hmm. funny and uh, you know just cracking jokes and planting flowers. And I was like living the simple life. Yeah, <laughs> I'd go skate and I'd go party and and that was my life for a couple of years and it was it was not that fulfilling but it was kind of funny at the same time um but i you know i really missed you know all the old um crew camaraderie and and was doing my own soul searching and and finally i got a nudge from my sister um uh dini iverson and uh, she uh, she's in medicine. Uh, she was a, a OBGYN at the time. Now she just focuses on the OB um, portion, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, not so much surgery. Uh, she had mentioned that, you know, I'm I'm good with my hands, or you know, technically, you know, I, I 
can do a decent job in, you know, a few different uh, activities or sports. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I got decent grades. You know, why don't I look at something in healthcare? And, and more specifically, why don't I just go look at dentistry and maybe go shadow some dentists? Because she had some friends and they had said, you know, it's decent uh, family life. You know, work-life balance is, is not too bad. So I, I kind of turned things around, uh, focused on uh, prereqs in school, and uh, and then just uh, you know went went in that direction. Shadowed a couple dentists in town. Um, <laughs> as part of that process, I randomly ran into Jason Chatfield. Um, mm, okay. Um, so another like old old Alaskan shout out, a guy who I'd snowboarded with many times. Mm -hmm. um, and was was friends with um he was actually working as a dental technician here in uh, uh seattle i forget exactly where he was at i think up north of seattle um but i went and i hung out with him also for a day saw just kind of how he created like crowns and in mm -hmm. indirect restorations um and uh went forward you know with dentistry after those experiences I was like okay this this is a skill that yeah I, I can I can do I can work with my hands and like fine detail and mm -hmm. and I like you know talking with people I get along with with most folks you know pretty easily and seems like a good fit for me yeah so that um, I think the only other catalyst that that pushed me towards healthcare was uh, we had I think I lost my grandma um, at the time uh, you know that was kind of a major family event um, that you know, I was pretty close with her, um, growing up. Um, but she stayed with us in Anchorage and, uh, and so that I think had a really, you know, a strong impact on, you know, like understanding healthcare and, and, you know, helping make differences in people's lives. Um, we also at the time had two dogs, uh, and one was a basset hound, one was a miniature dachshund and the miniature dachshund was only like five years old at the time one morning she uh, we woke up and I looked down and she was just dragging herself toward her bed with her two front legs mm -hmm. and her back legs were just just not working at all and um, and we took her into like an emergency vet clinic she ended up having like a pretty major herniated disc and uh, within just a few hours we totally lucked out we were able to to drive down to a specialist um, and pay for uh, surgery to, you know, relieve the pressure. I think they did a lam laminectomy, some like, you know, crazy thing to to reduce swelling, bleeding around the nerves. And uh, mm -hmm. and then I stayed at home with her um, a ton. Um, and there was a big question mark if she would regain her walking ability. Mm -hmm. I just envisioned she'd be in one of those little hind leg wheelchairs um, for the rest of her life, you know, yeah. pedaling around, which, you know, dogs love it. I, I see videos all the time and they're doing doing great. So I wasn't too worried, but uh, she ended up regaining, I think, like, it looked like 85% of her walking ability again. Oh, that's great. And, uh, and just kind of, you know, that nurturing, caring, um, you know, for uh, an animal or a, a human really... I think solidified just um, okay. What what fundamentally do I think I could do in life as a job and just feel very fulfilled with? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in the later years of snowboarding, um, 
I was struggling with what was my what was my why 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 do I do this sport you know to impress anybody no not really that's not really fulfilling to me it was it was always like okay can I make um you know people smile um I guess inspire in those those very fundamental ways as a as a human Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's hard to do in snowboarding sometimes, you know, you just focused on like, okay, how do I do the gnarliest thing? And, yeah, exactly. How can I go like, bigger? Yeah, it's all about, you know, the gnarly or the, well, now, nowadays it seems like, okay, what, what is the most creative thing? You yeah. Know, always, always pushing a boundary though in, in whatever context. That's really interesting that you were actively thinking about what's the why what's the why in you being in snowboarding because i went through that same exact thing and it's been still kind of a journey for me you know looking back i got out of it because i felt like and it sounds like you felt like the same way that what am i doing this for you know to look cool and then the older i've gotten i have you know, paid attention to like Jesse Burtner's career. And I'm like, oh, that, that is a really helpful way to be a part of snowboarding. You know, I think that, that Burtner has really like, you know, I feel like he figured it out. Like a hundred percent, but Jesse's such a unique person and I, I, I couldn't be more happy to, you know, call him one of my best friends. Um, you know, it's seeing him from day one, um, when I first met him, it was, he was always such a, oh, what's the word? Uh, I mean, he, he was totally creative. Um, mm-hmm. He was always so motivated. He, he was just like a dynamo. I guess that word really comes to mind when I think of Jesse. Yeah. Um, you know, always one of those people that they they are the battery that, that just charges up that room of, of people. And... Uh, and yeah, to see kind of what his career has evolved into. Mm-hmm. I mean, going back from our you know dirtbag teenage years, and just we're, <laughs> we're looking up. We're just only looking up at what, um, how do we get there? Always, always, you know, asking those kind of questions to now. Now seeing um, where we were at, yeah, where we got to in kind of where you know the current state of things is is going and you know with his like 20 year montage video Mm -hmm. i I just the number 20 years is just like insane to me and uh you know i still watch you know any of his uh podcasts you know like with you or the bomb hole i think he was on recently i watched that one um and the amount of uh, impact um, that that substance um, that you just you see coursing through the dialogue with everybody um, it's it's really kind of insane um, just to to see and appreciate that um, yeah he's he's become I honestly it's gone beyond legend status like he's he has touched so many different facets of this uh, snowboard industry mm-hmm. um, that yeah he they're gonna have to develop a new word honestly like it's (laughs) it's kind of it's kind of pushing 
Legend used to be just reserved for, like, oh, my God, he had the most insane part. Yeah. Like, he had the most insane this or that, and it was very, I think, still narrowly defined as Legend. Yeah. But, man, Jesse's, he's kind of lived so many different sides, and and the supportive aspect um, helped careers, helped nurture motivation, mm-hmm. um, and is still doing it to this day, and and yeah i think i think you need to have a new adverb uh for this guy like i don't know he's he's insane and i'm i'm yeah. so happy to have met him uh, just just by chance just randomly <laughs> so bertner gave me some questions for our conversation and he said that when you blew out your knee ride sort of forced you into being a team manager to keep your rider contract going. So you had to drive to Preston, Washington every day and work in a cubicle. And he says, he thinks he remembers that you had to fire Jeff brushy from ride. (laughs) (laughs) He's, he's got, he's got some of the elements. Correct. Definitely. Um, Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I had a I had a weird stint there where, um, you know, I'd I'd been with Ride Snowboards for a while, and mm-hmm. yeah, with Ride I was amateur for quite a number of years. You know, always um, trying to to break into the pro categories with like you know Dale Ryberg and and uh, I don't know who who were all the dudes Blattner, Russell Winfield, uh, Jason Ford. Uh, and later on, like Mikey um, mm-hmm. LeBlanc, and man, I mean, yeah, those guys were were sick, and they were kind of the epitome of snowboarding. And you know, I, I wanted to do everything I could to to reach that rank and be one of the cool kids on the on the A team. And uh, Ride, boy, Ride had an interesting history. You know, being the first like public company, um, they really. They went from being like one of the most core um, things to happen in snowboarding, um, you know, almost like the the precursor to forum um, kind of deal with like a very you know core team mm-hmm. uh, marketing push. Um, but on the back end, what nobody saw was really this this huge um, money cash grab. Okay. Um, and I think guys with names like Jamie Salter come up from time to time as uh, he was like a big outdoor uh, investor, um, uh, apparel or outdoor sporting goods type type dude. And mm-hmm. uh, he propped up this company. They had a great vision. Um, um, but I think the heart of it was really like, how do we get the stock price up so that I can bail out? and uh, go on to the next best thing. Okay. I, it just, to me, hearing and seeing what happened, um, and then it just it just blew apart. It was only amazing for like a few short years, and then so many people left, and, um, and they didn't take care of their riders. Like, there was no consistency. There was, there was a couple players in there. Um, I'm blanking on who the team manager was, um, he was a nice dude. Um, I think he went to work at Dekine afterwards for a little bit. Uh, and I'm totally blanking on his name, but he was off uh, and out right around the time that, um, you know, I blew out my knee. I think that was about 98, um, when that happened. Um, and yeah, kind of a, a gnarly, um, 
I just took too many flat landings. <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah, filming it. at Mount Hood. I think I cased a, a sticky, um, you know, wet jump at the end of the day. Um, you know, the snow just kind of sucks, mm-hmm. you know, as the day goes on. And, uh, and yeah, blew out my front, um, my left knee, like pretty, pretty bad. And, uh, yeah, I drove home. I wasn't going to go to the doctor either for that one. And I like, I had to drive home with my legs sticking up out of the, the driver's window because <laughs> oh it was gosh. so swollen. Yeah. <laughs> drove from, drove from hood all the way up to Seattle. And you know, when I saw Kirsten, I was like, yeah, I twisted my knee. It'll be good. <laughs> like, like I was just used to skateboarding, like just put some ibuprofen in me. I'll call it good. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, dude, you're you're high. Like, let's we gotta get you into the the emergency room. Yeah. And how bad was it torn? Oh, it was. I mean, it was completely shredded. Um, oh like ACL gosh. completely severed, massive yeah. swelling. Like I, I had like elephant leg. Um, it was it was just a really good uh, mash of the meniscus and and all the ligaments. Everything was just on fire and yeah. really swollen. So, yeah, yeah, that's when I learned, you know, a little bit more about uh, healthcare as well. I think that that probably played a role in going into dentistry. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I even remember watching the surgery. Um, I asked them if I could stay awake and watch it while, while they did their thing, and I thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, if you ever need surgery and you can stay awake, do it. It's, it's enlightening. <laughs> <laughs> I always avoid it. You know, I, I don't like I don't like looking at that stuff. It's weird because yeah. like I'm really into horror movies. Oh yeah. But I just can't watch real stuff. Dude, it's 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 kind of a trip. Uh, and people, you know, even dentistry, it's it's kind of funny. You know, when it some people are like great with tattoos and mm-hmm. you know getting their body pierced or whatever, not a problem. But you get near their mouth and oh my god, all bets are off. They they yeah. freak out. It's it's this weird mental trip and yeah i yeah i think about that a lot too even with snowboarding like i was so used to big air contests and cliffs and on a snowboard nothing looks really that insane to me after you know so many years but if i go and stand like like on on last weekend or whatever i was out mountain biking and i stood at the edge of this rock roll and i was like holy shit this thing is so scary and it was just such a different context being on a mountain bike um but anyways um so wait you didn't have to fire jeff brushy then yeah so getting back i'll i'll not go on so many tan dude i go on tangents you can call me the tangent man i guess could be my nickname i I feel like i do that too much um so anyways um yeah my knee was broken i was um i had just made it on to the pro team um with ride um like that summer it was like my Mm -hmm. breakout year finally and things were uh, feeling like they were falling into place. Um, yeah, I had done, that was, yeah, that was the year where I had won, um, the van, I don't know, but what was it? Vans. Yeah. It was when Vans was still doing their triple crown, um, deal. Yeah. Sierra at Tahoe, um, was the contest I ended up winning. (laughs) It was, it was such bad snow conditions. It was like the smallest, bigger, triple jump contest ever and I, I won it so yeah that was my claim to fame do you know what you uh, did i did the run 
yeah, the run was um, coming out of the gate hot. It was a, I think a fakey five melon, and then a just a a swanee backflip, no grab, just everything you could to carry speed to the last yeah. jump. And then it was like a uh, just a regular backside rodeo um, with the the stock melon grab. Uh, that's that's the year when backside rodeos were like the hot thing. Like Peter Lyon had just really put those out there and yeah. you know everybody was trying to do them uh, and uh yeah that was a that was a fun trick to do but man it was like the smallest error for all of us it was insane <laughs> <clears throat> i remember at that contest too another tangent here i always think back about you know how snowboarding could have been different for me if i would have gotten away from ride um after that contest uh blaze and chad uh, Otterstrom, um, well, Blaze really had come up to me and, you know, congratulated me. I think he finished, like, second or something at that contest, but uh, he asked me if I wanted to ride with them on, on MLY um, at the time, and I always thought, of, like, we kind of made fun of their company, and I feel so bad. It was like the <laughs> soy sauce company, you know, with, with that, that guy who was backing them, um, and I just... You know, I had no clue back then. I just was so into ride and trying to make that still work. But those guys are so cool. And obviously Chad, like, I think from that year on, Chad really uh, blew up into what, you know, he became mm -hmm. as well as a rider. And obviously he's so legendary in the world, like such sick style. And, uh, but, yeah, I'd, I'd known those guys for a while. Like, Blaze, at one point, going down to... Mount Hood, he was my coach uh, at one of the camps at, like, USSTC. Um, Chad, we all knew each other from amateurs, nationals, um, mm -hmm. doing all those contests. So, yeah, that would have been a good a good group to have uh, shredded with for sure. Real quick, before we get too far away from it, you said that you always think about how snowboarding, <clears throat> how snowboarding could have been different if you got away from ride. I wonder if, um, I don't know, you could help me understand that. Yeah, you bet. Um, okay, so I'll wrap up that other question and then answer this one. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Brushy, I did not fire him just to just to answer that one. Um, yeah, I had, I had no bearing. I was like a, a shark with no teeth, basically, in the, the team manager role. And I'll, I'll kind of mm -hmm. put that one in air quotes as well. Um, so, yeah, we were... Um, living up in Mount Lake Terrace, um, which if anyone knows Seattle, Mount Lake Terrace is like north of us by a solid 45 minutes driving with with traffic usually. So mm -hmm. to go from there to Preston, which is east of Seattle, about another uh, 45 minutes, uh, was over an hour commute um, as I was going into the office, just one way. And, and through like some of the gnarliest Seattle traffic like it's just annoying as heck and uh, <laughs> and so yeah I had I was the bonehead who like picked our apartment that year and so you know we were gonna live um, Jesse and Joe Hagedis uh, from mm -hmm. Anchorage Alaska who's also you know in the videos the JB Deuce back in the day yeah uh, uh, Joe we were all good buddies and and so I, I found us a pad and unfortunately, it was just a bad location. Like, it made no sense for snowboarders to be there. Um, 
And then I, I really suffered since I had to drive in to, to ride, which was located in Preston at the time. Um, so they they made me come in. I earned my paycheck that way. Uh, otherwise, I don't I don't even think legally they could have done that, but whatever. I didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah. They said, come on in. You're going to manage the team. And yeah, I was like, I was remember I was taking in, you know, receipts for trips from people, sending boards out. I think I sent boards out to Lando at the time because he was also getting flowed um, stuff before he was really riding for anybody uh, on a high level. And uh, yeah, I always tried to make sure Lando was getting hooked up and like pushing for like, you guys should, you know, get him more stuff, like get him up higher on the team. And mm-hmm. nobody gave a shit and ride. They were like, who's this guy? We don't even know what the hell's going on. Like who's getting paid next week? <laughs> they were, they were in some real weird, weird uh, economic financial uh, situations, but uh, but Brushy was the big pro at the time, and if you kind of remember back to late '90s, like Brushy's career was not, it, it was nowhere near what it used to be with Burton, um, and okay, and pretty much all the consensus at the time was uh, uh, that he was washed up. I mean, for lack of a better term, even though he had done so much for the sport and yeah. marketing wise, like, you know, his, the brushy, the, the fish graphic, like, oh my God, what an iconic uh, board. Yeah. They had, they had so many good uh, memories of, of all the stuff that he was a part of. And I think that snowboarding has had some growing pains and some issues with like honoring its athletes. Oh, completely yeah yeah it's it's kind of like you get used and abused is is the name of the game and i i feel bad for you know the folks when i see those situations because there could be so much more done um to to kind of honor that and appreciate it um i think i i just saw online the other day and there's like a museum up in snoqualmie here out of Seattle, and I think it's like a Pacific Northwest um, uh, ski and snowboard museum. Um, mm-hmm. I want to go check it out, but I I haven't seen exactly what they have. I'm sh- I think they have some Craig Kelly stuff, but um, yeah, I'm not too sure what all is up there. Um, but yeah, back to back to Brushy. Um, yeah, so basically at the time I was just filling in as team manager, earning my paycheck until my my knee was healed and I could go ride again, and. Uh, yeah, living and working in a cubicle, getting slides from photographers. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, it was kind of fun. You know, I was learning all the, the logistics of like, okay, how do you do this as a company and, and, you know, yeah. keep riders happy, but still, you know, support a company with, with marketing and, and all that stuff. And, uh, there was a magazine request at the time. I think it was from Transworld, maybe, where they did, um, music reviews uh it was in it was in kind of a the same sort of vein as that like uh, okay here's a here's a writer um and we either want you to write a uh, review like a where are they now or some sort of thing it was like a editorial article just a really small thing mm-hmm. and it had to do with brushy 
Um, but I think it was more of like, it might have been sponsored by Ride. I don't know. They were maybe kicking money towards the magazine in order to, to promote one of their riders. It was okay. it was something goofy. But for, for whatever reason, they tasked me with writing this. Um, I don't I don't know why. Um, maybe I had some decent writing skills. I, I don't remember, to be quite honest. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I had to... I had to just come up with this article about Brushy. I didn't even like interview him or talk with them, and yet I had to. I had to make it look like um, kind of a where is he now, uh, like expository on him. I don't even know what you quantify this as. <laughs> yeah, it's like almost like a a weird think piece. It, it was. It was. It was very unnatural. It was very artificial. Yeah. And I remember resenting it. I, that's definitely my takeaway, is that I was okay. I was just so jaded and annoyed <laughs> at this point that uh, that I was like, all right, fine, I'm going to put down what I really think. <laughs> and I'm not, <laughs> not going to be PC about this. Yeah. And like, to, to hell with his legendary status. Like, this guy's earning a huge paycheck, and he's hardly snowboarding. And he's just living off the, you know, the dole or whatever. Like his, yeah, okay. his legendary status was really all from the Burton days. And, and he really wasn't doing anything at the time, um, riding wise. And, and I, I think as a, you know, I had a definite conflict of interest, like along with myself and all my buddies who I knew were killing themselves to try to be the next best thing mm-hmm. and, and where they couldn't earn a paycheck or, barely get boards flowed to him here's this guy just he's just sitting back watching cash roll in while he's not doing anything and i just felt that was so unfair and so i think the article was basically that was like you know he used to be great but he's not so great anymore we'll see what the future holds that was like basically the takeaway and and when kind of not not your job (laughs) i mean you you had kind of like two Two conflicts of interest, right? So you oh, completely. you were trying maybe to speak on behalf of yourself as well as some other upcoming snowboarders, but then also you work for Ride, oh, so yeah. it's it's kind of like uh, what do they call those? Advertorials. Yeah, it was it was so messed up, and, <laughs> and so yeah, I didn't I didn't really understand how best to navigate it for the least amount of headache i think that's what i would have done nowadays it's just like okay yeah this is red flags everywhere like okay let's just get through this as simply as possible yeah but, but back then i wanted to put my stamp on it you know i wanted to, <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to show them what i was about yeah <laughs> stick it to them but uh yeah um a gal who was she was more of like the marketing director at the time greta um brumba um yeah, her and I kind of butted heads, um, and she did not like what I wrote, and uh, <laughs> yeah, there there was just a lot of stickiness all around this stuff, so I kind of got reprimanded, and then I think at that point I was like, okay, you've been here enough, like, try and go ride some more, and you don't have to come in to the office. <laughs> I was happy, <laughs> happy to oblige. <laughs> you know, something that comes to mind is, did you think that with that that office job did you at any point you're like i'm gonna make this work and then when that happened when that advertorial came out and 
it rubbed some people the wrong way. Did you feel like maybe that failed a little bit? And then now you're back to doing the thing that you know you're good at. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you mean getting back into snowboarding? Like yeah. that release? Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, the the cubicle setup, um, just being in an office, uh, was definitely foreign to me at the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I did not enjoy it um, a lot. Uh, there were some interesting aspects, um, just seeing how the industry... Um, in the magazines, uh, specifically interacted with the the snowboard company um, mm -hmm. for marketing purposes. So, yeah, that part uh, definitely helped. Um, and then I got to see like how people submitted their travel receipts and like who did a good job <laughs> and who did a yeah. really crappy job. And it was who just sends you a a packed Manila folder. <laughs> some people just pulled them out of their pockets, shoved yeah. them in a folder, and was like, exactly. take care of this. And it's like, come on, you can organize like a five-year-old. Come on. Like, <laughs> just kind of put it out in order, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, that was, thankfully, it was short-lived. You know, my recovery was like six months, and then uh, I was back into to snowboard mode and just had to wear a brace for a bit until I felt like I was strong enough to, to be riding consistently again. And was there a moment when, you know, you're back out there, you're snowboarding and maybe it was the second ACL injury. Um, but you're like, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, so um, this was my, um, you know, next go at snowboarding professionally. Um, I was still, let's see, at the time, uh, riding for ride. Um, so I had the breakout contest year, and I think that's when, like, uh, you know, all the the JB Deuce videos were popping off. So er everything feel felt like it was, you know, kind of at a great point like okay this is going in a good direction I, I feel positive um, mm -hmm. I'm getting stronger like I just had a hiccup and I can get over that and just be back with the boys um, and, and shred yeah. and have fun and uh, I did that for what that would have been like the 99 going into 2000 um, I think that's when like survival of the tightest was coming out um, and that was that was really like the peak for me that that year 99 to 2000 mm -hmm. um when when that video came out and i was also able to uh film with uh borgie um and uh the mac dog crew i i can't even remember like how that came about but i i think borg said you know they may have had a spot or something on one of their their sessions out in Mount Hood and mm -hmm. and he reached out to me and he was like Pete you know I got a chance for you you want to you want to come and shred with us and uh, um, I said hell yeah like let's do this man I'm so ready and yeah yeah and we went up uh, to Meadows and it was an insane day it was it was like such a crazy experience um, I think it was Ross Steffi the filmer um, uh, Chris Brown and Jason Brown were mm -hmm. a couple of other pros there at the time. Um, and then Borgie, of course. And yeah, he 
Ross took us to this crazy uh, jump. Uh, it was like it was like off of one of the main runs in Meadows, um, and it was kind of a steep run. Um, and I think it's in the movie Amped. Um, if you mm -hmm. go back and watch that movie, it's like one of the first few clips of Borgstead, um, and he's going off this this huge like flat takeoff uh, uh, down, um, and it's a pretty pretty long drop jump. Like I'd say a solid like. 65 75 feet um down into a cat track landing so it's like mm -hmm. very very much a tracked out landing and and it's in the resort um but he does like a backside three i think mute grab or something um but that jump nobody wanted to hit and and this was my introduction to filming with mac dog it's like Let's go up. We get up there early. It's icy as hell. There's like no sun warming anything up. <laughs> I got this gnarly freaking blind flat takeoff, which you, it, it looks like Jason's going fast, but in reality, we weren't going very fast at all off that. Like, you know, some of the steep cat track jumps at Alyeska. Yeah. Um, you don't go bombing off some of those steep ones. Like you only have to carve at medium to low speed and you're getting plenty of air down the slope. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it was exactly like one of those, except you could not see the landing. And at the bottom was just like this, this flat um, regular ski trail um, that you were going to hit. Like you're mm -hmm. going to, you're going to land. If you landed correctly, then you're going to have like an almost a, a 90 degree, um, cat track that you just run into at the bottom with tons of speed. So, yeah, that was my intro to MacDug uh, filming, and and nobody wanted to hit it, and I was just like, damn, dude, like, okay, here's my shot, I better go for it. And yeah. I was like, Borgie, I'm, I'm gonna do it, and and yeah, he he pumped me up, and and I sent it, and luckily it all worked out. I think I think I did probably a straighter first time off of it and it was it was scary as hell and uh and then we started doing some threes off it and i think that's when we called it after like just a handful of hits because even even jumping it like, a few times we had to ask the people on the hill to like wait too so you had all these people like <laughs> gawking and watching yeah you. like you had to full they had to fully like stop skiers coming down the run so that we could hit this jump so you had all that yeah. weird pressure yeah yeah i was about to say that pressure yeah um so yeah that day um yeah we we hit that jump and then and then it was like on okay nerves are past me um i think we went down and uh then there was nothing else we really filmed until later in the afternoon um the railing at the bottom you know the stairs going up into Meadows? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think F Phil Hansen, actually, the uh, skateboarder, he got he got a sick shot like skating those over the, the cheese grater stairs. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. So that rail, um, yeah, we ended up hitting. And I don't think anyone had, had really sessioned it on a snowboard till that day, at least in the video. Um, but we ended up setting up and, and doing it. And... Uh, and yeah, Borgie and I think those guys were all um, trying to hit it. I don't know who uh, landed it first off of it, but I was I was just kind of filming um, with like Borgie's camera or my camera mm -hmm. at the time, and then and then they were kind of done 
and it was my turn to session it and and so I did and I ended up getting a clip off of that that I was really happy with that was I think like the highlight of that that filming day was mm-hmm. you know board sliding that and then um doing like a 180 uh, at the very bottom rail um that runs in the credits of of amped so didn't quite make it in the main section but but that was really cool it's kind of scary on those cheese graters yeah super scary <laughs> especially with um you know i have this theory that the progression of snowboarding has been kind of in large part aided by the new snowboard technology because I was riding kind of an old Danny Cass GNU years ago and it was Christmas time. This was in Anchorage and my brother and I, my brother Jake and I went to Girdwood, went to Alieska and he's like, Hey, I got, I, I brought you a Lando, a Lando LibTech. You should ride this instead of that board. It's got new technology. See how you like it. And I remember hitting hitting a jump and you know, my body's pretty weak at this point. You know, I had to snowboard in a while, you know, straight from college, you know, partying, oh, yeah. studying, you know, your body just kind of atrophies. <laughs> and oh, yeah. um and I was just, you know, in the back seat so far after hitting this jump and this board made me land the trick. I mean, I was like, if I had that Danny Cass snowboard, which is just like normal camber or whatever, rather than like that reverse camber kickback on the Lando, I would have just fallen. Oh yeah. Yeah. It completely different, like, uh, weight shifting, balancing over the nose and the tail with, with the tech changes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's a, I, yeah, I often wonder that too, because yeah, there was it was full regular camber um, back when I was still riding. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it's good in different situations. You can certainly power um, through the chunky stuff, but yeah, jumps. It's not as forgiving off like jumps. Like, yeah, if you're in kind of the back seat, it's like it's so stiff sometimes that you'll just immediately wash out, kind of mm-hmm. deal. Yeah, but. But with the softer, that reverse camber, I, I feel like, yeah, I can see people almost like manualing uh, on the on the landings. And, you know, it's just more forgiving. It's got a broader range. Yeah. So we were talking about the, um, the reason or a moment when you decided to kind of get out of snowboarding. Yeah. So, you know, going, going off of that... Um, that year 2000, you know, being the peak, um, had a, had a awesome year, so much fun riding, um, Mm -hmm. at, at the next, I think next year's contest, um, yeah, I ended up blowing out my, my other knee, um, kind of at the Breckenridge, um, I think it was another Vans, uh, contest, you know, I, I was staying with Borgstead and, and, I think we got through the qualifying day and I, it was my second run of qualifiers and I had just landed, um, I landed on the landing, um, did like a fakie five in the middle of the run and I could just feel my back knee just give out and it wasn't as harsh as, as the first time. Mm -hmm. 
and it was so weird. It was like I just rolled it, you know, skateboarding. Like you don't you don't really freak out about it. But I just knew that sensation. Um, yeah. Uh, loss of stability. I just I just remember it from the other knee so well that I was like, oh my god, I think I just tore this other ligament, and I mm-hmm. I I went down, um, told Borgie, and then I just scooted out of there. And I think I um, I felt bad leaving him. <laughs> I think he had some some ladies staying with him at the time though, so he, he was all good. He was, <laughs> <laughs> I think he was bummed. I was I was leaving him with the bill for the room and I wasn't going to be pitching in as much, but I was just like, at that moment I was so, um, I just knew, I just knew yeah. snowboarding was done for me. And it was, yeah, it was kind of one of those sad realizations that, wow, like this is it for me. I'm going to not see these guys or this contest atmosphere again. Um, geez, that's a lot to take on. It was, it was kind of heavy, but, uh but you know, there, there again was like a whole world to look forward to, and you know I had some buddies um, that I went down and stayed with. I think it was like Kyle Von Bosey and Drew Nerland. They were all living, uh, I think, down in Reno. No, no, uh, uh, this was Denver, um, and uh, yeah, they were going to school and stuff. So I I hung out with those guys, and and then yeah. Kyle, I think he got me back into video games and stuff again. And yeah, I have a, I have a sort, a, a soft spot for those things, which are bad. Like for video games, <laughs> you need to not do video games. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but, but that's why I like technology so much. I guess I, I've always liked video games. <laughs> Is there, I don't know, like a video game addiction or something? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh okay. Yeah, okay. you should you should do a whole podcast on that. Like, yeah, seriously. I mean, you know, people spend time on social media, mm-hmm. um, and I think similarly, uh, you know, video games. You know, it's entertainment. It sucks you in, um, and you know, with all the variety of games nowadays, and in the social aspect especially, you know, you play with friends or you play with a group of people, acquaintances, and that can, you know, really keep the party going. And and then, you know, real life is going on outside of that world. And and I think you miss out on on a lot of good, you know, moments in the physical, in the real world, um, even though you're trying to you know, have fun, you know, in the digital realm. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's definitely a give and a take. And sometimes I think you hear and see those stories of people who just, uh, l- let their other responsibilities wither away. Um, you know, family, kids, that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't think I'm really familiar with that. I didn't grow up playing video games. You know, every once in a while I would play video games, but my brother Colton and my sister are like really good at video games. You know, I always use this, uh, maybe it's more of like an observation, but I'll play a video game and I don't understand the rules of video games. For example, like if I'm stuck in a room and this is like, you know, maybe it's an action game uh, with like a mystery involved and I'm stuck in this room and, and I'm like, well, how the heck do I get out of this room? And I just wander around this room forever. And then I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Colton, take the controller. And then he goes over and like pulls on a book. I'm like, well, why would I think to do that? 
You know, it's like, I don't understand video game logic. And so not only, not only do I not know how to play video games that well, but I don't even understand like the basic logic involved in video games. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the more you practice and experience, um, you know, things of that nature, Mm -hmm. you, you start to pick up on the universals. Um, and I think, uh, there's kind of this, uh, intuitive understanding that you develop for uh, a specific game's user interface in design. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a certain way. I, it's, I guess it's kind of hard to express and until you really start to play a game genre like a, a first-person shooter versus a, an MMO type, you know, walk-around um, uh, game, you know, where you have an avatar, um, and you're kind of looking at at it from the third person perspective. There's like a whole different um, user interface uh, set of you know rules and interactions that you you just start to understand as you as you play games. Yeah. Uh, for too for too long sometimes. <laughs> but uh, but yeah yeah it's uh, it's interesting because you know obviously like Facebook changing to Meta and them trying to build out you know the metaverse and in Roblox for little kids. Um, yeah. Like my, my kids totally, you know, love playing that stuff. Elsa and Espen. Um, and, and yeah, it's hard not to see that enjoyment, um, you know, happening. Um, but yeah, you always want to be cognizant of like, okay, what's the, what's the balance? Like you, you got to stay physically active. You got to take care of your body. Like, like that starts to fall apart, obviously, the more you just sit, um, at a desk or anything for too long of a time. What video games were you playing? Um, I, uh, getting back way back, um, like, yeah, Von Bozzi and that whole Denver trip, he showed me an old one called Dark Age of Camelot. It was like this old fantasy one. Not many people remember it. My brother and uh, my mom's side of the family plays that a lot. That and World of Warcraft. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark, yeah. So Dark Age is like the first MMO that I ever saw, and in yeah, so MMO, massive multiplayer online, um, and you build up and level up your characters and all that good stuff. Um, you know, that was that was the the entry for me to that, and then um, later on years, I think uh, two thousand four, I think WoW or World of Warcraft came out. And, mm-hmm. I, I got way into that one. Um, yeah, played the beta, spent way too much time, uh, you know, doing that. And I think that's the same time I was working at the, the golf course and uh, I was the flower boy doing doing uh, all that landscaping, but just playing games in the evening. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just wasn't going anywhere with, with life. So I, I kind of have good and bad feelings um, from that game. But WoW really, boy, Blizzard, um, the company behind it, really, they took they took what people wanted to see in a game, and as a really really good um, group of uh, developers uh, in that studio, they they whittled it down to its essence, and they really took out all of the the junk um, from the user interface, problems with other games, clunkiness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just cleaned up all of that stuff to have a very streamlined and addictive experience. I, if anything, WoW showed 
just how addictive a game could become. Okay. And they're still going strong, I think, with like several million uh, players uh, to this day. And that's like that's like unheard of for a video game to have this long of a of a run and, and still be active. So yeah, they they really set the foundation. How many hours were you playing this game? Um, I I'd say you know getting into the the dark days there, um, you could easily see like a eight hour day, like without a doubt. And this is after Six, work. Eight hours. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of times, you know, into the evenings, um, and then you're like a zombie for the next day. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not unheard of for 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 gamers. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you get out of that rut? You know, I I just. You have to just talk to yourself and put on the brakes, um, like with with anything that you're like way into and getting addicted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you just have to take notice of just how much time you're spending in that activity, um, and definitely, you know what what isn't getting done in the real world. Like like, are you moving ahead in your career? Like, what are those positive creative aspects in life that you know you you just can't go have your entertainment for you know unchecked amounts of time you need to go and you know make a living or progress at your job you know Mm -hmm. uh, get that raise or you know propel propel yourself to the next level of your career like like yeah you just you need to take inventory of of where you're at and where your trajectory is moving and and I think have those personal conversations with yourself. Mm-hmm. Plus, I'm sure you'll have other people around you saying, "Why aren't you coming out anymore? Or doing this or yeah. where are you, man?" Like, like yeah, you'll get those other external motivators to get your rear in gear and, and change it up. But yeah, I I'm all for trying to manage the screen time with kiddos. I think right now we're at like you know we try to keep it to a a two hour max. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then I'm like, I still feel guilty with two hours. I'm like, God, we just, I try, to, I try to make every excuse to now, you know, at least take my son out mountain biking and my daughter, if she'll go with me, um, got them a little bit into downhill mountain biking and, uh, and they don't want to pedal though. Cause they're, they like downhill <laughs> where you just take the chairlift up. Uh, yeah. But but I come from a cross country background, and I'm like, no, you got to learn to earn your turns, kind of like yeah. snowboarder lingo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, we're working on it. We're working. We're getting there. So yeah, but um, you know, going back to like snowboarding and the end of that whole career. Um, yeah, Borg said obviously super instrumental. Um, man, I had so many good stories with with Jason. Um, you know, he helped me out getting foot in the door filming a little with Mac Dog. Um, mm-hmm. That season uh, ended. Um, Ride dropped me, um, interestingly, at that same time. So that was like at the height of my career, I felt like. And, and Ride was just like saying adios. And so I was I was so jaded by them. Yeah. And actually, I was ready to just, I don't know what I was ready to do at the time. I was, I was calling around different um, sponsors in Anchorage, like wondering who else would work with me. I still had, I was with Sessions and Dragon uh, mm-hmm. Eyewear at the time. Didn't have a boot sponsor, so I was reaching out to some of them. 
And uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I got a call from this guy, uh, Kale Gray, mm -hmm. uh, with Solomon. He was the team manager at the time. Totally didn't know those guys or anything about Solomon other than, like, oh, they're kind of the dorky ski company. But they were they were definitely becoming, like, the up-and-coming um, put-together snowboard team at the time mm -hmm. with, like, Dirksen and... and uh, Benedict was on the team who I didn't really know David at the time. They just, they had a strong team. Like, yeah. honestly, they were, they were really good, uh, folks. So I rode, um, for them, uh, after transitioning off ride and, you know, it was great. I went on a, a few trips, um, like right out of the gate. I think I went down that summer to Chile, um, for like a photo shoot. Mm -hmm. First time in South America with those guys. And it was it was an insane trip, um, and then I think the next, uh, oh god, I think it was the next summer. No, it might have been that same summer. I don't know. I I'm losing my dates. Um, <laughs> I went to Germany and and they had me stay with uh, David uh, Benedict and I hadn't met David yet. Like this is gonna be the first time that that I met him. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. No, what was it? Yeah, no, that's right. That is the right order. So, anyways, I went to Germany, hung out with David at, at his house, and we rode um, whatever the name of the resort was. It's, it was down in, like, the Bavarian area of Germany, down on kind of the southeast. And, uh, okay. Um, rode the summer camps up there a little bit. He was coming off an injury at the time. And, uh, and yeah, he was he is such a cool dude. Um and yeah, yeah, I just, I really had a fun welcoming into the, the Solomon crew, um, right off the bat and started riding with them and thought everything was, was going to be great. And then, um, it was like a year and a half later, um, yeah, came off a year also filming with Heine cause that's when Heine, Kurt Heine, yeah. uh, split from Mac dog and he started, um, straight jacket films. Um, mm -hmm. and he tried to do that for a little bit. Um, so yeah, I had a little part in Unleashed, um, but then that, I think it was that next start of the winter, that contest at Breckenridge was the second knee blowout, and that's, yeah, when changed direction, um, went back to school, um, once I got back to Seattle, I was just like, okay, what am I going to do with my life, and uh, kind of going back to all those things I said earlier about, uh, you know, healthcare and and what am I going to do with my life? Asking those questions. Um, yeah, ended up going towards dentistry, taking the prerequisites, and uh, and yeah, just said, you know what, snowboarding is just um, in the past now. And in honestly, at that point, uh, once I had direction uh, with such a shift in in that point in my life, it was it it became much more. Uh, clear what what I was going to do next like I was going to mm -hmm. focus my energy and that snowboarding would be reserved for just having fun casually recreationally and and that was a huge weight off uh, my mind because for so many years when you're in that snowboard world you just I think you're always um, trying to do something on the hill um, to 
kind of justify it as a career for you like mm -hmm. like what am i what gnarly thing am i going to do today or what what am i going to do to push the boundaries today like i just can't be up there casually having fun i have to film something or yeah. take pictures of something or learn a new but trick learn a new trick yeah always progressing but now i can just it's so nice it was it was very nice to just realize I, oh i don't have to do any of that and i can just either you know, take it easy or, mm. or push it if I want. Just, yeah, it was really, really fun getting back to almost the roots of, of why I even got into snowboarding way back when. Mm -hmm. You know, something that was really liberating for me and I had no idea it would even be this liberating is buying my own stuff, you know, instead of reaching out to companies and getting, you know, getting flow from them. And I remember what did I buy? I think I bought like a snowboard, um, in like my, my mid to late twenties. And I remember going up on the mountain and feeling so free to do whatever I want rather than like every run looking down at my snowboard and being like, okay, I got this for free. I got to make it, you know, I got to do something to have earned that, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're becoming an adult. You're like, you're autonomous. You're, mm -hmm. you know, you create the reason, and and yeah, it's on you. Uh, you know, you're 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 taking ownership of of that and that activity. And yeah, it's uh, it is interesting. It's it's like a subtle difference in uh, in how you approach snowboarding at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, I. I think, uh, you know, you put on your big boy pants, Cody. And, uh, <laughs> no, they fit okay. <laughs> I always make sure um, a quote I like to have up at the office, or I used to have it up at my old office, was uh, put on your happy pants uh, today. Something just to kind of inspire the team. Yeah. And uh, now always go in and have a smile on your day. Because, you know, some, some days it's harder than others. You just... You know, you might not be that person that just is like always naturally, you know, all super happy. Um, and that's that's kind of me. Like I have to tell myself to, you know, some days, um, you know, really put on that show or or try to, you know, show that that happiness. And uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's part of like growing up. And, Mm -hmm. and becoming more experienced as an adult um, it, it especially you know happens to us I think in our jobs our professional lives and you know you get burnt out everyone gets burnt out to some degree so mm -hmm. I think you got to have those those micro strategies to to keep things going in a positive way yeah absolutely you know going back to those early days you know your roots that you you mentioned just a minute ago Bertner said to ask you about your dad helling your board up to Bertner's house one day after school. Awesome. Yeah, that's, I, I was thinking that might come up and, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's in the same vein as like your dad's podcast, um, which was super awesome, uh, to listen to, by the way, like, yeah, I, I've I've tried to keep up with your podcast, but man, you put out a lot. It's hard. <laughs> it's exhausting. You know, real quick, that is is kind of my um uh what would you call it? I guess my addiction is 
I work too much, you know, and I think I get it from my mom and my dad because they're both workaholics. And so, um, for example, um, every Friday I try to go see a movie, you know, cause I have kind of a a weird schedule with my jobs anyway. So I try to Mm -hmm. go see a movie during the day. And my wife, Carrie is, you know, she's like, are you going to see a movie today? You're going to go see a movie, right? Like she's, you know, she (laughs) wants me to go out there and entertain myself and kind of like, have fun with something because I can just get in, you know, this, this spiral of, um, working too much, you know, and and I like the work that Mm -hmm. I do and that's how you get caught up in it. And and I'm sure it's similar to how you were with video games, you know, where you're like, I'm enjoying this, this is fun. But then, you know, somewhere down the line, you realize the negative impacts it's having on you. Oh yeah. 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 Physically, that's an easy one to, to, I think really notice. Um, and yeah, you're, it sounds like, you know, you're in a situation, Cody, where you realize that you, it's almost like your hobby is your, your job and, or something that you're so passionate about is your job. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's really easy to, uh, not see, um, that that balance that risk versus you know a healthy reward um Mm -hmm. but but obviously you know people around you are able to help i think guide you and remind you to make time uh, in different ways uh to take care of your your body your your mental state and uh yeah otherwise i think with anything you just get so into it and you're you're like hyper focused and exactly very myopic and you can can definitely uh realize burnout um quicker than you might you might otherwise for sure and i think that where that has most recently become the most obvious for me is i'll finish an episode you know i'll finish editing an episode of the podcast and uh put it out there and five minutes later i'm already editing the next one you know, or writing questions for the next one. And I'm like, there should be at least like a couple hours in between when I start the next one. You just can't jump from one maybe accomplishment <laughs> to like not even thinking about, you know, it being finished or appreciating the work that you've done and moving right on to the next thing. Because I think that there's, there is a benefit in that. It's like not getting caught up too much with, with maybe the accomplishment or success of one thing, but I think you should appreciate it at least a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, but you're on a, you're, you're at a different level. Um, and I think only you internally can appreciate, you know, how your work is affecting, you know, your, your mental state and, and, you know, I guess asking yourself very uh, internal questions like, okay, like, am I, am I able to make time to appreciate what I've done there? Like, mm-hmm. like, was I really happy with that work? And, and do you crave, uh, you know, too much just getting on to the next thing? Because it's almost like a hamster wheel mm-hmm. uh, in a, yep. in a creative world. It's like the happiest moment is as I'm creating or doing things to set up the creation to uh, unfold like the content and, mm-hmm. 
and I guess being a slave to the content is is a real worry um, for you. Maybe I, you know, I'm not I'm not in that realm. I'm not in that world. Um, you know, sometimes I I envy you know those who are in the creative world. But um, yeah, I guess that's it. Sounds like that's a real you know struggle that that you're having to manage and uh, and keep it at a healthy pace. Well, I think it comes from journalism as well, you know, because in journalism, you're only as good as your next project. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, man, that's, that's hard to, to always feel like, okay, I'm maintaining things at, at such a super high level. Like there's, there's no downtime or else you're slacking, I, I suppose is what you might think. And also it's, you know, it's really rewarding. You know, I love conversations like this, you know, where I'm able to like reconnect with people like you, you know, from, from my snowboard past. And these conversations are always like really easy. There are conversations where they're tough, you know, like I've put a lot of effort into the questions. Not that I didn't with these ones, but Mm -hmm. it's just, I know that I need to ask them in a certain way so that maybe nothing can be misinterpreted. Whereas this, you and I are already on the same page. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, fortunately, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, with your family. Like, honestly, uh, I've got, you know, I, again, something for the future that I'll, I'll need to share with you. Um, I still have a lot of old like high eight, uh, footage. Uh, and I always keep talking about this with like Jesse when I see him or, or Sean, Lucy, um, or even Micah. Like I know those guys have access to like an old high eight, um, you know, uh, tape player or whatever. Um, I don't, I don't have one of those devices anymore and I just need to get this footage, uh, digitized, but I'm, I'm sitting on like, you know, tons of old memories of like you and Colton at like Diamond Center. I I vividly remember like footage, like we, we, Jake and probably you and Derek, who knows who else is in there, but we're like lifting Colton into the, the little Merry Christmas, you know, um, features that they would build in the, in the Diamond Center. And then Colton would walk around and he'd like poke and punch the little dolls and the animals. (laughs) Jake would be egging them on and, oh my God. Like, yeah, I grew up with you guys and, and it's, it's pretty awesome to, to be able to reconnect. And, and I know I've got some more memories to share, obviously with that, that type of digital footage that I'll, I'll get it out there and I'll definitely be, um, sharing it with with the crew yeah i would love that i am working on a borderline kind of audio documentary and i guess you would just call it a podcast but it's i don't know how many episodes it's going to be maybe six episodes uh eight episodes i'm not exactly sure yet but you know i need to start reaching out to people like yourself that have you know, old school footage like that, that I could rip the audio from, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So much. Yeah. Definitely can uh, make that happen. So the story about your dad hailing your board up to Bertner's house one day after school. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a, I was a, 
uh, a fool. I didn't bring my board with me. Uh, <laughs> Jesse lives up on the hillside, obviously, in Anchorage, uh, and was kind of the main, you know, easy access spot for us to build jumps and, and snowboard in mm-hmm. junior high and high school. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I must have went up there maybe after school or whatever and stayed the night. Um, and I didn't have my board and stuff with me. And, uh, my dad was probably, uh, doing a, a job. Um, so he had a, an old kind of mash style, uh, bubble helicopter that, that your dad, you know, talked about in a previous podcast. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, he was using that to recover, uh, crashed, uh, aircraft, um, in and around, um, you know, Anchorage. Um, and yeah, he'd just, you know, fly out to these sites. It was like a one man tow truck, basically operation okay God, he just he just loved to do crap solo like that yeah um, he probably would have taken me with him if if i wanted to but obviously i was into other things <laughs> <laughs> but uh i'm sh- i'm sure he would have loved it um anyways uh yeah he i think he was doing a job that morning and i probably called down at, to try to figure out okay how can i get my snowboard and my gear and uh and I must have had gear up there already. I, I don't know um, exactly. But uh, we we asked him, and he said, yeah, I got to go do a job, like, out, you know, past Alyeska. Like, I can just uh, bring your board up to you. And I was like, sweet, all right. And so he just <laughs> fires up his copter, and he's already on his way to do, like, a job. And... And here comes, you know, the the heli like hovering over um, the homes up there on the on the, you know flat top uh, drive or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you know, probably hovering like five feet above the ground uh, over one of the the open spots on the roadway, and he just you know opens the door while he's hovering, just kicks the board out, and you know uh, then flies up and away or run up and grab the board and it's just like sweet dude thanks like it's no big deal for him like he was he was always about um just being i think really um fly by the seat of your pants attitude um very practical though with with how he approached things um you know he didn't want to overcomplicate it and i think your dad and 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 my dad like un un um i guess it, it wasn't artificial when when they hung out yeah. um like they had a very natural uh friendship immediately like yeah. even though they didn't spend a lot of time together i think they had some very special uh few moments that obviously your dad remembers um uh, a lot and and I'm sure my dad he he always kind of beamed when he talked about uh hanging out with the the snowboarders like mm-hmm. cuz he he felt like he was kind of the cool guy cuz no one ever thought he was cool flying a helicopter around and uh here he is you know hanging out with these kids and old dudes that shred and they think yeah. he's like you know the the awesomest thing cuz he's flying a helicopter around like a badass yeah <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't care and I, I know your dad really, really, you know, lives kind of that, that lifestyle motto, like, you know, carve your own path in life, make your own fun, 
uh, don't have regrets. Just mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's really it's really cool to see. Yeah, the story that you're talking about with my dad is the one where your dad picked my dad up in the McDonald's parking lot in Palmer, and he took him to Hatcher Pass, right? Yep, yep. This was going to be, uh, yeah, borderline, um, just kind of like a, a fun employee's day, um, you know, heli boarding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, yeah. If you haven't read that or listened to that podcast, yeah, definitely check it out. Scott's amazing to listen to. Like <laughs> the way the way your dad, you know, you talked about it in the podcast. The cadence, like, yeah, go to work, <laughs> yeah, like everybody, dude. Yep. I mean, I I grew up with that. I grew up with listening to your your dad just talk about all sorts of stuff and. And driving in the old caddy, mm -hmm. oh my god, that iconic car, um, you know, driving to skate spots in Anchorage back in the day, and, and uh, man, um, Dre, yeah, yeah, Dre was bumping usually, um, yep. he had all the woofers going, oh my god. That or Easy e Easy. <laughs> oh man, just making every mama proud out there yeah. on the strip. Oh my god. Exactly. Dude, there was nothing there was nothing more fun as a as a little kid like early teenager growing up like hanging with your dad and all of us together. Oh my god. That was so fun. I I had a recent conversation or I was part of a conversation where like this group was talking about like what music they grew up with. And it was like, uh, you know, it was, it was like maybe blink One Eighty Two or something like that. And how their parents would be playing it in the car. And, you know, they had all these fond memories and then it came around to me and they're like, what music did you grow up with? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, uh, like Dr. Dre's the chronic, um, easy E. Uh, Puff Daddy and the Family, you know, just all of yeah. those like real, I, I mean, it's gangster rap. Oh, and, yeah, man. <laughs> and, and I'd be listening to it inside bone. of a Cadillac. Yeah, Bone Thugs and Harmony. <laughs> yeah, all of it. Cypress Hill. You oh, know. yeah. Oh, that was that was huge back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Insane in the membrane. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good, good memories for sure. I, uh, yeah, I really, I really, you know, I'm appreciative of your, your dad, like just doing that, being there for, you know, having fun with the kiddos, like, and it was all genuine. It was so not thought, like pre-thought out, like I'm doing this to like, you know, boost the borderline marketing or something cheesy like that. Yeah. Like this was such a, a fun, natural thing even even though it was a little hardcore with the rap <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know oh something God. i just thought of is i wonder if you know if your recollection of those borderline days was authenticity you know yeah. and something you just said was you know my dad is is hanging out with all of like the kids the youth and he's he's genuine about it and he's helping to nurture and push, you know, the snow and skate culture. And then, you know, fast forward, however many years and you're riding for ride and they're doing like the complete opposite. 
Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And rides, I mean, again, rides are very interesting in the snowboard world where they, I think they started with a core principle um, and really amazing riders. And unfortunately, there were financial levers um, in the background that mm -hmm. just ate away at that in a very short amount of time. And then it just became obvious what, you know, this company is just, you know, uh, a shell of its former self. And it's just propped up by, you know, outside financials uh, trying to make a buck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder if there's something in that 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 maybe says it's it's good to stay small. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that um, I asked myself that too with um, in my own business here. Um, obviously, you, you know, I, I work in Seattle. I own mm -hmm. uh, my own practice here, which is kind of funny uh, thinking and listening to the podcast. Like all my friends, a lot of them are at points in our lives where you know, we're trying to be um, the owner or the entrepreneur or the, you know, the business person um, mm -hmm. at this point. You know, we want, I, I don't know if we want just stability. I think we probably are more after like a stamp on life. You, you, you kind of have this desire to leave a legacy in a sense uh, mm -hmm. of like, here's all the hard work I put into life and this is what I have to show for it. Um yeah, for me, um, with dentistry, you know, I, I just, I just enjoy that small aspect currently. Um, but if I was to become a little more successful here, um, in West Seattle, that if I could grow, you know, um, Junction Dental is, is our office. Um, I don't know if I would want to grow it bigger. Um, you know, I, the next step for me would just be adding in like an associate um, and I could, I could grow it to maybe a few more days a week or, mm -hmm. you know, handle a few more patients. Um, and so I, I don't know beyond that, like, am I that type of person that would want to turn into a group practice or something really mm -hmm. large um, and totally change that dynamic and my stress level? I don't know. I don't think, I don't think I'm that uh, person. But, but you can never say never. Uh, you know, if I, if I networked with somebody and it just felt right, uh, who knows if that conversation could turn into something else. Um, and I think that's that randomness in life that you just can't, uh, you can't totally plan for. Sometimes, you know, things just happen and they feel really right and natural. And you, mm -hmm. you, you maybe just take that risk, you gamble and you go for it. And I think that, you know, as as we get older and we have more uh, life experience and maybe we understand people a little bit more, we can weigh those options in a better way. You know, I came to this realization that there are good opportunities and bad opportunities. And a good opportunity is exactly what it sounds like, but a bad opportunity kind of looks like a good opportunity mm -hmm. until you get in the mix of it and you're like, Oh wow, this was not a good idea, but maybe it still has all of like, uh, the markings of a good idea. But what's happening to you is like, you're shifting and the thing is turning into something that you don't want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think jotting down, um, 
your thoughts uh, is a good strategy, a good practice. Um, mm -hmm. I think having defined uh, maybe terms or timelines, um, you know, if you if you're getting into a new venture, uh, maybe set up a kind of a check in with yourself or mm -hmm. with whoever's involved, like three months or six months, like you, you kind of you want those artificial timelines to really um, have a, a hard date set to reevaluate what you're doing and if it's working or not. And I, I think as a business owner, um, you you begin to need those things um, instinctively, uh, whether or not you do a good job kind of doing it. Uh, that's another question because, yeah, you can get very scatterbrained and all of a sudden six months goes by and you haven't checked in and mm -hmm. and maybe things are spiraling in a bad way, but uh, hopefully not. But, yeah, I think I'm definitely a big believer in uh, setting defined uh, timelines to check in and if it's not working then get off that path make it make a change for the better yeah yeah that's smart okay so i have a question about king of the hill awesome love <laughs> love king of the hill days hell yeah bertner said that you guys flew with your dad the day before his heli dropped out of the sky with john freeman in it what's that story yeah yeah um yeah that one's um uh, definitely mired in controversy uh, i'd say my my dad the story was after the the helicopter crashed um and yeah it's no thing right helicopter crash like yeah mo most of the time people live right i don't i don't think that's that's the norm but uh yeah he thinks that either there's a an emergency fuel shutoff lever um, in those older aircraft that, for whatever reason, it was designed to be accessible. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, obviously, me saying that, that doesn't sound like a good idea <laughs> to be easily accessible. <laughs> like, you, you kill the fuel switch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I don't want that usually easily accessible, I think. Um, anyways, he thinks that got uh, uh, switched on somehow. Um but at the time, I don't remember who the other pilots were down in the area during Valdez, but my, my dad wasn't really well uh, welcomed by the local uh, other pilot dudes who had started to make a name for themselves down there, you know, with uh, King in the Hill or other, you know, shuttle services. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, my, my dad, he's kind of like a black sheep. He just probably came in hot and, uh, you know, had you know, my connections with the other snowboard guys. And so they probably, uh, there's a potential there that there was resentment. And for, for some reason, my dad, you know, was, was suspicious that somebody tinkered with that lever and actually switched it off. Um, but, you know, to this day, there's, there's no proof of anything like that. Uh, but he was definitely feeling the pressure from, the other folks to like get out of town and not be there shuttling uh, snowboarders along with their, their uh, aircraft operations. Yeah. But yeah, um, you know, we had fun while we were down there. Um, yeah. Dad was, you know, more than happy to take um, me and uh, any of my friends up and uh, drop us off, you know, wherever we wanted to go. Uh, we, we're pretty much just like 
riding adjacent to where you know all the contest was like maybe across the valley mm-hmm. and i think back and i'm just kind of blown away like that's that's insane like to even have that that option available yeah you know in reality i think we probably you know did like maybe two or three runs in a day with him and then you know he would be you know trying to do paid uh, you know uh folks you know who wanted to ride and go up so at least he could you know break even on the fuel costs and all that and and such but uh yeah those guys were filming um john freeman and i forget i forget what film crew that was uh um folks who did like i don't even know what what films did they put out previous years like the oh blanking on those old old names like Hetzel and those guys were in those videos. And anyways, is it maybe Creatures of Habit? That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Plastic uh, Soldiers. Yeah, yeah. That, all the ones where it was like you know party dudes. I feel like that Damian Sanders kind of vibe. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, you know, wild dudes partying and and just living it up. Just yeah. Just rock and roll style. Anyways. Um, yeah, they crashed on the top of one of those uh, runs, those mountains, and I think mm-hmm. they were they were really, luckily, only hovering uh, about twenty twenty five feet, um, maybe above the ground, uh, when when it finally shut off. The engine just died, and they just plummeted. And uh, I don't think anybody got too seriously injured from that. Uh, you know, maybe some some back leg issues I, I don't think anyone really had to go to the the hospital for anything too serious out of that i know my dad walked away but you know a bit banged up and and stuff but nothing nothing too crazy and very easily that could have happened when they're hovering a thousand feet above yeah. the ground like yeah like there's only just randomness that they happen to be above that mountain and uh yeah, yeah, that was insane. So, at that time, yeah, my dad was a commercial airline pilot for American, and uh, yeah, he wasn't supposed to be, as part of their rules, when you're a commercial pilot, you can't be flying uh, independently, it's like part of your contract, you can't oh, okay. earn a living doing that um, sort of thing, but yeah, my dad's like your dad, dude, he's going to yeah. do what he wants to do, <laughs> and to hell with the man and uh (laughs) i mean my dad's hobby was flying like everything to do Mm -hmm. with flying and uh yeah he yeah it kind of makes me sad thinking about him yeah and i don't know if you want to get into that yeah, no, it's 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 good to share. Um, yeah, yeah, because you know my my friends especially and and I think you know your family to some degree they they knew him and they'd interacted with him and uh, yeah he passed my dad passed in 2012 and uh, yeah he was still just flying um, and was in a plane crash. He was by himself. Uh, luckily nobody was hurt. Uh, and uh, he was doing like a fuel run out to uh, one of the mines up north of Anchorage. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, something up there. And uh, 
I think it was an electrical issue on an old um, Grumman-type Navy aircraft, um, just this workhorse old old plane, and uh, something ignited. More, more than likely, it was a it was a fast uh, event, and uh, yeah, I think eyewitnesses down on the ground said they saw uh, uh, flames coming from the engine as the the plane tried to turn around and get back um, but it just went down there was just no no hope so mm. yeah plane crashes are they're definitely part of um, that lifestyle um, of being a, a flyboy especially yeah. a, a bush, bush pilot up in Alaska like that is there's there's so many stories my dad had of either close friends of his dying in plane crashes or my dad himself he'd actually been through not counting the one that got him um he'd had the helicopter one mm-hmm. and at least two others um and one of which when i was a baby um yeah he almost didn't survive that one like that was that was really gnarly i think he was either in a, a brief coma or or something but yeah apparently when i was little enough i I came into that hospital and, um, yeah, I just asked if you're going to die, daddy. <laughs> yeah. So, but those moments, you know, man, uh, when it's family, it's, uh, yeah, it's tough stuff. Yeah. You definitely feel, uh, those heartstrings, but we got some good days for sure. It was, uh, it was cool having him. When you think about your dad now, you know, now that you're a dad, what kinds of things do you think about? Um, moments with little moments. Um, yeah, with my kids, uh, taking, uh, random pictures and video, just like, yeah, when they're sleeping, before they wake up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, those, those like, you know, you're not posing for the camera kind of moments. Um, mm-hmm. It's always like, it's more candid. I don't know what it is about those those types of uh, memories and, and pictures or video. But, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like when... When things aren't planned, um, and it just happens, almost like of its of its own need to happen. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. It's like a very philosophical answer, but I think I think all of us have some experience like that, where you know you you just like step back and maybe you 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 have a very visceral sense of like, oh, this is very special, like mm-hmm. like. I just need to really absorb this um, in its in its moment in its entirety, and not yeah. Maybe you have a camera there um, yeah. to snap a picture, but uh, yeah, you're just you're just very, I guess, emotionally appreciative of of what's occurring, um, and that it will pass. That it's it's not going to last. And uh, and with my kiddos, you know, those I guess those moments can be like. Yeah, waking up, like I said, um, in the mornings, um, maybe they have little aha moments. Um, you see little 
light bulbs go off, um, mm -hmm. you know, if they're learning something or an activity. Um, yeah, just maybe seeing their own little human emotions um, explode and develop and, and you know, have a shift um, in, in subtle ways throughout the day. Yeah, um, we're still waiting as parents for them to just say, oh, you're the best parents. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're at the teenage years right now, and, and I, I wonder, I still wish... You know, I asked my mom about it, but I wish I had my dad too to just say like, how much of a a hole was I? Like, did I really push you guys away that bad? Like, I think about that same thing. Yeah, I mean about yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's hard reflecting. I th I think, and I heard it in other podcasts. You know, like Micah's especially. I think he talked about it quite a lot. Where man, I was a jerk back then. And, <laughs> and it's like, it's hard. It's, I think you put it in, in a good context. Like you can't, you can't be so hard on young Micah or something. <laughs> you said, yeah. you were like, you, you gotta give yourself some credit, man. You were figuring it out. And, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, but it is hard when you're dealing with your own kids and you want the best for them and, mm -hmm. and you just see those, some behaviors repeated, um, that you don't want to have happen, but it's, it's almost a necessity that, you know, they, you have to learn on your own, uh, as a, as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there is kind of this, this priceless quality to failure, you know, and when, parents or maybe a manager or something at work like tries to protect you from failure what they're doing is they're depriving you of a really crucial and pivotal experience yeah i uh somebody said recently actually i think it was at the dental convention it was just a good reminder that you know in order to grow as a as a team uh, or is an office, um, you know, you have to allow those moments to happen of failure. Um, mm -hmm. And and if you have somebody do a task that, you know, you think you're the best at or that only you can do, um, well, you know, change that mind frame and be okay with, you know, people maybe doing 80% of, of the job that you think they should be doing like 80% is, is okay. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know why we need to have an arbitrary number around it, but, um, I, I, I think even dumbing it down to just the struggle of learning and advancing is what's okay. Mm -hmm. And truly if your end game is to have, um, growth around you that, that you just have to make sure that they're on that path, that they are, struggling towards improvement and and that that should be where you know all the effort is is gone into maintaining that relationship and uh, mm -hmm. yeah and i think i try to apply that you know not only in my office but uh, more so um, figuring out how to do that with kiddos and uh, just what's allowable what's acceptable um, you know you know if they if my son's at the dinner table and we go out to eat and he's like 
playing with his knife and doing crazy ninja moves. Like, <laughs> I'm very cognizant that the next door old ladies staring at him with their mouths open is, <laughs> is like, I'm kind of trapped. I don't know what, what a lot of times to do other than like, okay, okay, time to put that down. Like, yeah. like calmly try to behave, little guy. Like, I get it. You want to be an awesome ninja. Like, that's cool, but <laughs> we're, in, we're in a different place here. And... And my wife, I mean, oh my God, like, like just having a partner. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Kirsten's, um, she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it makes me, I get too emotional, man. When I talk, jeez. Um, <laughs> no, you're good. But seriously, I think, seriously. <laughs> I think that if I were to, I think that if I were to talk about Carrie, you know, we've been together for over 20 years and, you know, just the idea that we, we've grown up together you know, and, and we have so much history. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if I was on the other end of this interview, I'd probably get a little choked up myself. <laughs> yeah. When, when you, when you do start talking about these, um, these types of things, like, yeah, you want to share your emotions and yeah, I guess getting choked up is, is very natural. It's, it's part of it being very true to yourself. Um, yeah. But That's yeah, healthy. I, I appreciate, you know, <sighs> Oh my God, how much she does every day. And and she's really put, you know, she had a career with occupational therapy, which was awesome. Um, she did that in, in Minnesota when mm -hmm. we were finishing up uh, dental school um, for myself. She moved out there and was working at um, a level one trauma center. And uh, she had some awesome stories, really tough work, just crazy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, some people super appreciative, but some people just like, dude they don't care if they die tomorrow like yeah. they're not getting out of bed to work on their their yeah no they're walking or getting um uh you know back into daily activities anyways um she kind of um went full uh child rearing uh mode stay at home um yeah basically she's the glue um she she keeps it together um, you know, cultivates all those inter-familial, uh, uh, like with other families, uh, relationships. Uh, mm -hmm. Man, that's a whole nother job that you could talk about. Like, how do you network with in your kids, you know, school sphere? Like, yeah. That's, I mean, sometimes like kids get along and they want to play together, but you can't stand the parents or whatnot. <laughs> like, holy cow, how do you have the bandwidth for all this drama? And, and that's, that's tough. That's tough. I come home and I'm like, I'm done with my own dental drama. And then yeah. I, I, I don't want to have the bandwidth for that, but I, I know I need to uh, try my best and, you know, still be there to listen and. And, uh, and then, you know, carve out our own, you know, family experiences, but everybody goes, goes through those kind of feelings and, yeah and yeah, I couldn't be happier to have, you know, have her by my side and, and getting through life like that. Yeah, for sure. Switching gears a bit. When you look back on your snowboard career, what do you think you're most proud of? most proud of um the the relationships um yeah without a doubt like 
I think meeting um, such amazing uh, people, um, mm -hmm. such positive people. Like, I just think of, you know, who I was around growing up. And in my in my early days, like elementary school and, and just starting in junior high, like it was a lot of like um, neighborhood BMX kids. Like we just ride around and try to live out our 80s dreams, like doing cool whips and tricks on our bikes. And mm -hmm. I think Rad had come out like there was that whole like, yeah, I want to be cool, like Crew Jones type yeah. vibe, and, <laughs> which is which is still one of my favorite movies. So any anyone who knows me from Snowboard Days knows that like my favorite dance song was from Rad. Um, that was uh, Send Me an Angel, and and I think Micah had a part to that in one of the the last like JB Deuces or something. Like that was, that was always special, it's a bit, very special song. Anyways, um, those. Those folks who I hung out with, though, it weren't necessarily the, the best positive influences and until I met uh, Jesse, and I really feel like um, that whole crew, like these snowboarder philosophers, you know, mm -hmm. heavy into, like, um, literature, uh, book reading, even music, mm -hmm. just wildly different. Um, I went from trying to dress and think that 90210 was the ideal <laughs> to to like watching uh animal chin or skaters um the very first skate video i had was skaters from uranus and uh, really? okay it, it was like this old ass like vert skate video like i think i don't i don't even know who the heck was in it um Nodus Coppus, like some old old school dudes, mm -hmm. and uh, and anyways, like um, that was that was kind of the start of like baggy style too, and skateboarding, like like going from the vert skaters to the street skaters, and mm -hmm. you know that whole style coming into its own. And I just remember like seeing the skateboarders in at Handshoe, and like you know Jesse and those guys, they had baggy pants, and I was like, oh, who are these? dudes like mm -hmm. I, I don't know anything about this crew although I did like skateboarding and and again going to that 80s vibe like skate skateboarding was always kind of cool you know counterculture going mm -hmm. off you know jump ramps and, and that sort of thing and and so Jesse randomly had little pictures um like uh Polaroids or printouts, whatever they were taking of like doing straight airs um, mm -hmm. up by his house, and we had some elective class where I just randomly, um, you know, met him and and uh, and then we started talking about snowboarding and and I think I was maybe that was my second season really uh, riding um, mm -hmm. at that point, and I just we made plans to go up to hang out at his house and. I think just hit it off from there. Um, yeah, he'd uh, yeah he'd make fun of me. I was still like into roller skating at the time. I don't even know if he <laughs> asked a question about that, but he, he made did. so I'm much. At it. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. He said that <laughs> he you were the king of the roller rink. <laughs> Dude, I had so many. I feel like I had so many like hobby lives. Like I wanted to be the best at something for like a little bit of time and. And yeah, roller skating was totally in there because we had, honestly, in Anchorage, we had 
um, Skateland. Mm-hmm. Um, I did you ever go there for parties? Oh yeah, uh, I loved it. Oh my god, yeah, it's an amazing place, and yeah. I'm I'm always kind of reminded when I see skate places down around here, like they're tiny, they're like mm. they're rinky dink, they're they're nothing. Apparently, we had the mecca up in Anchorage. I had no idea, but that place was amazing. Do you ever look at those places down there and just think like I could really tear that place up? Oh, I have. Oh, you have. I, I've okay. actually, I've actually gone. <laughs> I, I actually like. Um, there's this place. I think Christina just had. I wasn't able to go, but she had a her 43rd birthday um, at a nearby roller rink in White Center, just south of us. Um, okay. And it looked awesome. It was like '80s theme, and and shout out to Pika, who's who's amazing. Um, yeah, I went there a couple years back um, with my kids. Like they've had some friends who've had birthday parties there, and and old dad put on his skates. I rented some, and I was like, yeah, I don't want the I don't want the the junky ones. I want those cool like premium skates. They're like <laughs> some racing skates. They look like Rydells, which is like the the eminent skate company, roller skating at least. Um, and yeah, I, I tore it up. It was like a, it's like a waxy wood, um, tiny rink. Um, but yeah, I kind of was reliving my old, my old roller skate uh, yeah. dreams from back in the day. I, I would have had fun racing. Um, we only, we didn't do any formal racing back when I did it, but that was, that only lasted like, I think fifth, sixth, seventh grade maybe was really when I did roller skating in Alaska, and mm-hmm. yeah, that whole BMX crew I was a part of, like they were into it, and man, I I just couldn't be the coolest though at it because one, I I couldn't grow a mullet, and that was very <laughs> you kind of needed that to really be legend. <laughs> I had bad hair, which which is why I shaved my head, and I have shaved my head for a lot of years now. And yeah. I wish I wish I would have shaved it way back when. <laughs> Although someone probably would have called me a skinhead or something, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, roller skating was something that Jesse like. I re- I remember there was one time where he wanted me to like either hang out longer or stay the night or something with them and tramp board. And it's like, no, dude, I got to go. I had to go to skate land. I got to go to skate. He was just like, he was beside himself just laughing at me. I was like, I, why are you making fun of me, man? It's cool. Like you should come. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, those are, those are some good old days. My brother Jake said that in high school you loved going to raves, <laughs> and he said, <laughs> and he said that you guys tried to never miss one. Oh my god, I I still do. I still like going to any electronic um, event. I don't know. It's like I think it's from my parents. I think my mom and dad love to dance, and so I've got <laughs> it in my genes, like literally. <laughs> um, that is yeah. Awesome. I just. I just I just have to go dance when there's a beat. Um, yeah, usually I like um, you know more. I like a mix of stuff: dubstep, drum and bass, uh, progressive house, um, maybe even old school techno. Uh, kind of way back then when Jake and I were hanging out a lot more. Um, yeah, they used to do old raves in the '90s, like out at the 
the missile bunkers, um, kind of the shutdown bunkers out at like Kincaid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they still do anything with those facilities, but they were amazing back then. Like, you'd show up and uh, and it would just be like everybody you were used to seeing in town because it's Anchorage. Like, mm-hmm. you're not going to see new people. Yeah. <laughs> you're just big enough. You're just going to see the same people with like different clothes and different air. But, yeah. but for some reason, it looked like different people and like a totally different atmosphere. And they were playing just like the cheesiest electronic music back then. It wasn't, it wasn't like real um, house music or anything like you hear about in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, like those places, it was like, it was, it was kind of the cheesy version just for Anchorage, but, but we had a really cool facility. Like the bunkers were fun. So I saw on your Facebook that back in the summer of 2020, you went snowboarding with Bertner at Mount Hood. How was that? Awesome. Anytime, anytime I get to ride with Bertner, uh, it's awesome. God, he's it's just like back to the old days, um, like being up at his house. Uh, you know, we're goofing around, we're laughing, we're reminiscing, uh, and and always he's again driving the creative train uh, mm-hmm. you know doing something uh, yeah it's uh mount hood's a special place too obviously a lot of history there um uh for us uh especially when the camps were in their heydays and i think you know you have memories too of going there i remember mm-hmm. you know your dad talking about shipping you down there just yeah. you know to save a buck and telling him <laughs> yeah he'll get up and dig it 6 a.m. or whatever, <laughs> butt crack of dawn. Yeah, I was like 11 years old. Oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, yeah, I have you know obviously really fond memories of of going down there. Um, I don't even remember how the first time I talked my parents into dropping me off there, but I was I was probably around 13. I think was the first year I ever went. That was after, you know, I'd been snowboarding a couple of years, you know, doing some of the local USASA contests up in Anchorage. Um, I think I had probably definitely met Bertner by then and, you know, felt like, okay, this is like my sport. Like I'm, I'm really loving this. Like I can compete in it. I can, and it's like something new is, coming out every month in the magazines too like mm-hmm. you had all that fuel just driving um all this stoke and and then i don't know if i saw it in the magazine but there's snowboard camps down at mount hood like mm-hmm. come down and shred with the pros that you see and i was just like oh my god i gotta do that like that looks so amazing uh yes sign me up and mom how how can we do this like I, I, whatever you need me to do, like I'll mow lawns forever. Like I just gotta go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, you know, started that journey way back when, um, in, in USSTC, I think, uh, Don Zabo was my first coach down there. And, uh, I don't know if you remember him. He he rode for Lamar way back in the day, kind of, he had like a full on bald, uh, head and, and he was, he was wild man. Um, uh, yeah, some other folks were down there. I think some Mistral riders might have been at that camp too. And I, I, you guys had some Mistral boards, and uh, you guys were all riding those. At least Scott and 
and Jake were at a certain point. Yeah, my my uncle Jay rode for Mistral. Oh yeah, Jay, yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah, um, you know, going back to Mount Hood, uh, uh, over the years, you know, I went from, you know, starting out as a camper to going down and uh, trying to get a job at High Cascade, so I could, mm-hmm. you know, just stay and ride and work, uh, and just be in the environment down there with all those all those folks. It was just like who you wanted to hang out with, and Borgie was already down there too. I think he was doing more like getting into coaching at at that time going from digger to coach yeah and you know he was he was kind of blowing up obviously and uh yeah i remember sleeping in the old digger shack that they used to have and there was like a hole <laughs> from the top floor down you could like see the dudes sleeping yeah. downstairs like this like this thing was dilapidated it was definitely ready to fall apart but but yeah they carved out a spot for me and let me come join them for a summer or two and and dig down there and yeah hand dug pipes man that was those are good days like like you really bonded with people uh, when you got to do that that type of stuff you know pete that does it for my questions and you know i want to tell you this was great you know i feel like i haven't talked to you in like i don't know a decade two decades but we have each other you know on facebook and you know for all the bad things that people say about social media i think one of the positive repercussions is that it keeps you know you connected with the people that you want to stay connected with and i've just been so stoked to see you know your journey through life you um still connected with people like Bertner, you know, I was going through your Facebook the other day in preparation for this interview. And I I mean, just seeing you two at Mount Hood made me so happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a special, you know, thing keeping those uh, relationships, um, you know, all throughout the years, ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, we've we've stayed close for sure. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I, I just want to say thanks to, you know, your, your family. Um, yeah, all the Liskas, um, you know, Jay, especially Scott. I mean, there's just, there's so much that I think us as, uh, skaters and boarders up in Alaska and Anchorage, uh, owed, um, to your dad's motivation, <laughs> just to just to have fun and uh, and live life and uh and that's um just really amazing um it's amazing to have been a part of it um just lucky enough randomly enough and and i think there's there's a lot of uh uh neat uh creative moments that have uh, come out of that like you're yeah, your dad, your family um, has really uh, touched a lot of lives, you know, in a in a similar sense to like what Bertner's doing, you know, with mm-hmm. with snowboarding and in that that whole world in a in a different way, you know, what you guys what you guys created up there and uh, in Alaska is is long lasting and in lots of ripple effects um, coming from that. Um, but yeah, all the all the people that I've met you know, throughout the years, uh, 
you know, through this this whole trip of snowboarding, skateboarding. Um, yeah, just just really appreciating um, those moments, what it means to be, you know, a good human being and, and kind to one another, and just all lovey dovey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's about it. I'm yeah. I would I would love the chance to. Uh, you know, get you guys, um, all together again. Like, like seriously, we should, uh, we should definitely talk about some more things, creative ideas in the future, like a, a reunion of some sort. Like yeah. I, I have dreams some days of, uh, you know, picking out a spot or something where it's just like, okay, you know, we're, we're all going to like coordinate, try to come back together and share stories and like physically be in the same space and, mm-hmm. and do this. And, uh, yeah, I think I think that would be a real, a real trip to uh, make that happen. So, who knows what the future holds, man? Oh, Cody. Yeah. Um, by the way, like your podcast um, is is awesome. I really. Oh man, like, thank you. Re-listening to things like it's it's awesome in the sense that the format, like the free flow, uh, you just. Yeah, you're keeping it, you're keeping it real by just how open um, the conversations are, and they they really do feel, you know, raw when I when I listen to them. Yeah, especially that that most recent one, James Johnson. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's that, great. That was very very touching, and uh, yeah, just thank you for for keeping the dialogue open in this format and uh, and letting people share. Yeah, heck yeah, Pete. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. You bet, man. You're doing good. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. 